The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Well, again, thank you for being with us tonight. Another good crowd tonight. We're glad that you are here. My name is Ryan Church. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at UPC and I'm so excited that you set uh, aside some time to join us on a Tuesday night. Before we get into what we want to cover tonight, I have a couple of things that I want you to know about. Uh, First is, if you've got a little bit of time on this Sunday at 5 o'clock and a couple of subsequent Sundays... We are doing uh, this little, this thing called the table. It's downstairs. And if you want an opportunity to really engage the Bible and the stories that are in the Bible and, and get some, uh, get a little bit of practice and, and exercise in how to tell these stories just on the fly, uh, I invite you to do this. I did this last week and we're going to be doing it for the next several weeks and it is a blast and, and even for me it was a totally new experience. So I want to invite you, that's 5 o'clock the next few Sundays uh, here at, at UPC. Uh, so, so come and join us for that. If you have any questions about that, I will be at the table right underneath that sign that says baptisms at the end, which again I want to give a shout out to our winter retreat. And what is this weekend about? What is this weekend about? Some of you might be going, you know, they've been talking about this every week. People seem to be excited about it. This is an opportunity for you to, uh, to kind of engage intellectually um, and, and, of course, spiritually, physically, this opportunity to know the presence uh, of God that is so real but often so elusive. And we've invited a, a friend of ours, a guy named Dave Burke, who's a, a pastor in Tennessee, to come out and share. And, and this is going to be a great opportunity for us to maybe live into the real presence of God a little bit more. Uh, if, that's, if that's even halfway intriguing to you, I, I want to encourage you to come and talk. For those of you that see this $90 price tag, uh, I, here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't want price to, to be the reason that you wouldn't go. You need to have a better excuse than that. Make sure that if you really want to go, but that's, that's a problem, come and talk to uh, myself or Boy, and we'll try and find a way uh, to get you there. But please, do not allow the price tag to be what would keep you from coming. All right, enough of the announcements. Let's get started. Um, I will answer the question that I posed to you. Uh, though I am a proud, proud alumnus of the University of Washington. I did look around a little bit when I was considering my undergraduate options. Now, there was no way that I was going to forsake my first love. I did not even apply to any other Pac-10 schools. But I did, uh, I did, uh, I was a bit fascinated with the East Coast, so I took a look at, uh, at New York University, which is right downtown there in the Big Apple, and around about my senior year, uh, I went back there to to take the visit, to take the tour. And when I was there, I mean, it was it was incredible. They rolled out the red carpet for the R. I mean, they threw a big parade for me, confetti, balloons, ticker tape, the whole bit. It was it was pretty impressive. I, I was like, hey, and and truth be known, it was the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. There really was a parade. It just wasn't for me. 
And, uh, you know, so, so following uh, the parade, uh, I got to go to the, the Radio City Music Hall Holiday Extravaganza. Thank you to my mom, who is a sucker for any type of tourist activity that is out there. It's like, you know, we go to the Bahamas and like, hey, Ryan, I got this flyer. This looks like it'd be a lot of fun. I'm like, mom, usually these booze and crews are a bit of a scam. We're not going to do that. Okay, God bless my mom, who, who her intentions are absolutely wonderful. So in between doing the, the Rockettes and this big parade, uh, of course, we got to tour the school and hear from numerous recruiters and administrators, like I'm sure many of you experienced as you were looking to make the, deci- the decision that you did at whatever place that you have landed. Now, it's a crazy experience, this journey to earn acceptance into, uh, into a college, into education, and growing who you are as a student and as a professional. It's the journey that I know many of you have lived, if not suffered through, and continue to live. I think it's an experience that's not totally unlike what we're going to hear about tonight from the Apostle Paul as we continue our exploration through the series or through the letter of Galatians. We started last week by looking at the fact that sometimes our resolutions, our add-ons can, can get in the way and inadvertently lead us into a type of legalism that can take our eyes off of Jesus. Tonight, we're going to take a little bit of a closer look at this guy named Paul, the author of this letter, and look at his experience as one called and accepted and tested as we see the transforming work of God in his life. And we're going to look at that for the purposes of understanding what he's trying to communicate in this letter to these churches all the more. Let's look at the life of Paul tonight. Let me pray for us before we get started. Lord, I think we've come tonight because we, we want to be different. We want to be challenged. We want to be changed. Lord, that even, uh, even in our, our studies and, and our ambitions, there's something in us uh, that, that desires uh, something else. Lord, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's you. So would you guide us as we come to your word tonight? Help us to see you and your grace in it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, here we go. We got a lot of text to cover tonight, so we're going to do it in a, a few different sections. Uh, so that again, that we might see how the Apostle Paul, uh, the author of this letter, has lived and experienced just a little bit more. And so uh, tonight we're going to call upon Becky to be the voice of the end. So let's get started. This is Galatians one, beginning at verse ten. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, 
But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Here's the deal. Paul is what we might call a pharisaical badass. He grew up in the most powerful arm of Judaism. He had a pedigree that was unparalleled. And not only did he enthusiastically live out the law, as he told us here, he actually persecuted the Christians of the early church. Now, I want to invite us to use it as a compliment to what we're looking at tonight. Acts chapter 9 uh, verses or, or through chapter chapter 15. Okay, I really want to encourage you to dive into that. Sometimes I hear these grumblings around, oh my church, your talks don't encourage us or don't challenge us at the end. Well, do it, do what I say. If you want to be challenged, take a look at Acts chapter 9, verse 15, and it'll really help set the context of this, of this guy Paul as a compliment to our message this evening. Now, one of the things you're going to find in Acts 9 is I think one of the, the great encounters uh, in, in all of Scripture, where one day this dude Saul is on this road trip, he's bouncing up into Syria, and he literally gets knocked off his horse uh, by, by something that totally takes him by surprise, and, and then he is confronted with, with the resurrected Christ, with Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, as if having to answer to the Lord wouldn't be shocking and, and frightening enough, he then loses his sight and is led up into Syria to a house near Straight Street, which, by the way, if you were to, uh, to go to Damascus today, you could walk Straight Street. You could go and, and walk in those, in those same places. He goes to this house and he's told to hang out there until some other dude is going to come and lay his hands on you and your sight will be restored. Paul has a rather traumatic experience in, in this encounter with Christ, but it is his road to being a changed man. Later on, we are going to see that Saul's name, he is so transformed that that's why we get this guy that we now know as Paul. And what he is trying to establish is that he has great reason to believe this gospel of no add-ons that he is preaching. He was one that was awesome at following the law. He had the pedigree to do it. He had the background to do it. And he has experienced that the gospel of no add-ons is, in fact, the way. He had an experience with the living God fully separate from the institution, but not private. Even when he was knocked on his horse, there were others that there. Maybe that they didn't have the same experience, but others were there and knew that something happened. It took somebody else trying to help him out before he got his sight. The point of telling all this, why Paul is telling all this, is to try and get those reading this letter, this letter that was circulated to churches throughout the region and read out loud. 
Much like what we are doing here every week, simply coming and reading out loud, was to say that you can trust what I have to say about this gospel. Like these other apostles, perhaps more famous apostles, I have been there. I have had an encounter with Christ. My experience was different, but he somehow revealed himself to me. I want to show you a clip from a film that I'm willing to go out and say is my favorite baseball movie of all time. In the film Bull Durham, Kevin Costner plays the role of a grizzled veteran catcher that is playing on a single A minor league baseball team. So the bottom rung of all of professional baseball. And he is, his job is to really function as a mentor for an up-and-coming hotshot all-star uh, named, all-star pitcher named Nuke Lelouch, played by Tim Robbins. Okay, so, t- so Nuke is trying to crack the show, which is kind of insider language for the major leagues, which is obviously the top uh, realm of baseball. Well, Crash has had a difficult time winning over his protege and some of the other guys on the team until they are taking a road trip from Durham to Winston-Salem. Take a look at what I'm talking about here. gets wooly. Women get weary. They don't get wooly. Nobody's got stress. They're wearing a dress. Damn, I hate people to get the words wrong. How come you don't like me? Because you don't respect yourself, which is your problem. But you don't respect the game, and that's my problem. You got a gift. What do I got? You got a gift. When you were a baby, the gods reached down and turned your right arm into a thunderbolt. You got a Hall of Fame arm, but you're pissing it away. I ain't pissing nothing away. I got a Porsche already. I got a 911 with a quadraphonic blau punk. Christ, you don't need a quadraphonic blau punk. What you need is a curveball. Huh? In the show, everybody can hit a fastball. Well, how would you know? You've been in the majors? Yeah, I've been in the majors. Yeah? Well, you've been in the show, man? Yeah, I was in the show. I was in the show for 21 days once. Wow. <laughs> 21 greatest days of my life. You know you never handle your luggage in the show? Somebody else carries your bags? It's great. You hit white balls for batting practice? Ballparks are like cathedrals. The hotels all have room service? The women all have long legs and brains. <laughs> oh, they're really hot, huh? Yeah, and so are the pitchers. They throw ungodly breaking stuff in the show. Exploding sliders. Could be one of those guys. 
I love, I love the beginning of that clip, of course. You, do you have those friends that, that they sing along to songs, but they get the words wrong all the time? I had one friend for the longest time was convinced that the song uh, by U2, I still don't, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He was convinced I still haven't found my blue dinosaur. Okay, and I suppose if they were looking for a blue, tr- blue dinosaur, it would make sense that they haven't found it, right? But, the, but Tim Robbins, she gets woolly. And then, no, stop, stop. The part of this that I want to emphasize is when, when, they, when he says, you've been to the show, you've been to the majors. Yeah, I've been to the majors. I spent 21 days in the majors. 21 best days of my life. The Apostle Paul is being challenged by these people in the church at Galatia, in, in, the, in the region. You've seen Jesus? Yeah. I've seen Jesus. I saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. Changed my life. The Apostle Paul has had a transforming experience with the living God. For him, this is his application to this, to this group of people to say... Here is why you should accept what I have to say. In the same way that we applied and submitted our application to say, here's why you should accept me to your institution. Paul submits that to, this, to these churches, to this, this group of folks. Now, if that wasn't enough, he also has to go on and say, uh, set up an interview to go chat with some of the guys that have gone, along, uh, gone before him that have spent a little bit more time with Jesus. So let's continue the story beginning at chapter 2. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and that they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Okay, so this is a passage of scripture where there is a a lot there. I'm going to come back to this whole idea of of God judging, uh, where where he says God does not judge by external uh, appearances. But there's a couple other things I want to tackle in here. So real quick, what we saw was Paul hang out a little bit with Peter, 14 years earlier, and, and then he kind of, and again, this is in Acts, kind of goes 
on a giant backpacking trip throughout Europe and the Middle East and, and has all sorts of crazy experiences on the way. And what you need to know is that all these things that Paul is doing, they are not easy at all. That he is, is going out of his way to say, hey, this, this is legit. And hopefully my life proves it. Now, I'm not nearly as resilient as the Apostle Paul. If I'm to look at my own pursuit of things like acceptance into things like an institution, uh, you have, uh, truly I tell you, you have heard it said that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. But very truly I say to you, when the going gets tough, change your major. That's, that was kind of the, the way that I per- pursued things. Is it, now, while I didn't necessarily change my major, I did explore a lot of different things. Uh, when I first got here, I was thinking, ah, oh, maybe I want to do, you know, some political science or whatever. That sounds cool. You know, I could probably fire that up a little bit. Well, that wasn't going to work out. For a while, I even considered becoming an accountant. Can you picture me as an accountant? My no. coworkers, I guarantee no. you. Thank you, Becky. <laughs> they can't. Uh, my wife, this is, this is crazy. Um, I didn't consider chemistry, but, but she did. Right out of high school, Julie actually wanted, to, she wanted to become a chemist so that she could make shampoo. Isn't that interesting? How many people do you know have that focused of a deal? Oh, I want to go to college so I can be a chemist so that I can make shampoo. Now, Julie didn't end up earning her degree in chemistry, though she did in dietetics nutrition. And I ended up uh, committing to earning a degree in communications uh, journalism and enjoyed it uh, immensely. But one of the things I want you to pick up from this scripture is, is that is to kind of think about it in the same way that we pursue majors or we pursue a master's program or a doctorate in order that we might have some letters that precede our name or follow our name. This is Paul trying to earn these letters that form the word apostle. He's trying to say, hey, I've earned it. Not only did I have an experience with Jesus, I also gained acceptance into this institution of these guys that had gone before me despite our differences. Did you catch that? Towards the end of the passage that Becky read? Before I get into that, I'll say, uh, maybe we should stop calling it shaking hands here at the end. I love how, how what it's translated here is, they extended me the right hand of fellowship. So at the end, we're no longer going to shake hands. We're going to extend the right hand of fellowship so you can go and bring all your friends to the end and say, hey, you know, the first time I went to this place called the end, they extended me the right hand of fellowship. It was awesome. Get fired up about that. We'll ex- no big deal. We'll extend the right hand of fellowship to folks. So they shake hands and agree that they should use their different gifts to the Jews and to the Gentiles to reach those folks from different backgrounds and nationalities. And in so doing, don't forget the poor that you come into contact with. Isn't that interesting? That no matter what what nuance a church may have, no matter who they're really reaching out to, the unifying factor in, in their outreach is don't forget the poor. What a great reminder this, this passage is about a transforming God. It is not one type of person, one nationality that can experience the grace of a redeeming God. And in fact, these churches that were 
often planted and founded by different apostles, often probably looked very different. But as we see here, there's an agreement to go in the midst of those differences. Friends, I think that this reminds us of one of the, the, great, the great truths of the church universal. The great apologist Ravi Zacharias says it best when he talks about all the different denominations and Christian communities that can be found out there and, and the confusion that can accompany. How can there be one, one God in one way when there's all these different ways that people think about it when he says unity does not mean uniformity. We can look different, sound different, even practice the faith a little bit different as long as we are centered on the living God revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, most of the time, I think that these different communities, these different churches are very honest and authentic in pursuing the truth, in pursuing an authentic and living faith. But I do think that, and I rarely do this, but I do think that this is a, a time where it's, it's appropriate to say, when you do find those communities, maybe it's important to stop and ask questions. If you find yourself pursued in, in the midst of all the, the confusion that can come along in Christian community, and somebody's saying, you know what, in order to receive salvation, you have to be baptized in our church and our church alone. Friends, that's probably not a church, that's a cult. And, and it's okay for us to chuckle about it, but there's a group on campus, I know here at UW, that is pursuing that. If you have to become a member of a particular church in order to somehow be, be marked as saved, friends, that's probably a cult, not a church. There's no place in the Bible that you can find a basis for church membership as a mark of salvation by becoming a Christian and believing in this God of grace. That is where we find life, salvation. It is these things like membership and, and these rituals like circumcision that are exactly the add-ons that Paul is saying, that is not how you save yourself. And that's what he's trying to fend against. But in the process, and this is, this is the grand positive that he's trying to communicate, he affirms all the diverse manifestations in the community of Christ. And we can praise God for that. Unity, not uniformity. I find it interesting that Paul didn't just go on some sort of maverick approach and say, I had an encounter with Christ, I'm not even going to seek the approval of the apostles and go my own direction. No. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he just go off alone? I think there's several explanations, but one is that, is that this, this Saul changed to Paul, understood the value of community. Like we said earlier, other people saw him that he was knocked off the horse. Ananias had to lay hands on his eyes for his sight to be restored. Paul always traveled with other people. Isn't this a great affirmation of God's transforming work of an individual that always happens amidst others? It's, it can often be a community experience. Now, so we've got all these different groups. We've got some people going to the Jews, some people going to the Gentiles. None of them are going to uh, forget about the poor. But there's a lot of different ways that this could look. And anytime you've got this many different types of people coming together, conflict 
is bound to happen, and this is no different. And sometimes Paul was the instigator of that conflict. Let's continue Galatians 2 chapter, or Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that you were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put out our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Look out, Peter. One of your guys is being inconsistent. He's getting worried about what things look like. Don't we connect with this? Don't we get addicted to looking how we're supposed to look? Don't we sometimes get get sucked in to identifying what is expected what other people, what men are expecting of us and living in to that. That is the struggle that Peter is getting rebuked for because of what one of his guys, James, has done. found it really interesting uh, yesterday. I met with a friend who's a therapist here in Seattle and I, I asked him a word of advice around, you know, as, as I continue to meet with students and, and seek to help them Pursue authentic discipleship. What are some things that you know in in that you could you could kind of give me a, a, some advice on on how I can guide them? His answer was one that I found to be very interesting, if not a bit chilling. He said, in essence, to look for the people that have it most together, that look like they have it most together, and observe how they communicate with what they're struggling with said, usually it's just the tip of the iceberg and they are creating a place in the dark where they can act out and that can become addictive. A place where they can escape because this facade, they are, they're worried it's going to come down. We can get addicted to the pressure that many of us feel to succeed and have it figured out. And in so doing, we buy into something totally different than the gospel truth. We buy into something that says, show no weakness at all. When what the message of the gospel says is when we are weak, then we are strong. It is there that we experience Christ most. Friends, is this you? There is no way that we can spend so much time and energy, time and energy putting into looking the right way 
and then have time and energy to pursue or be with Christ. The energy that we expend in relationship with ourselves forces us to set aside the grace of God. I know that there are people here tonight that struggle with this. And if you, if you find yourself identifying that to be you, I invite you to pray with somebody tonight during or following our service that, they might, that you might be able to taste the liberation and freedom that God wants you to live into. We look at the Apostle Paul because he is a man that has been completely changed by the grace of God. He went from persecuting Christians to preaching the gospel. All over the world and even to some of the other apostles. So what are they to do with this? What are we to do with this? We pick up the last part of chapter 2. It says this in verse 17. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. What we see in the life and experience of the Apostle Paul is very, very important. What we see is that it is God that does the transforming work. If there is to be change in our lives that lasts and that matters, if we are to be transformed, it is only as one's justified in Christ by His grace and nothing more. Paul experienced something on the road to Damascus that was compelling enough for him to make a change, to turn. Think repent here, folks. To change on his lineage in his past and embrace something that he could not earn on his own when he had already earned so much. That's a testimony in a life. That was his experience. So what? Ryan, so what? What does that mean for me as I sit at the inn tonight? Remember last week when I talked about New Year's resolutions? Well, at the end of this week, statistically speaking, for those of you that made New Year's resolutions, more than half of you will have broken or failed in that resolution. Last last week it sounded like I was a bit down on resolutions, didn't it? Well, here's what I'm getting at when we talk about living as one justified in Christ. Is that if you find yourself as one that, that, that came up short in your resolutions, that failed, living as ones in faith in a gracious God says, start again. There's a second chance and a third chance. 
and a tenth chance and a hundred chance. It's not about us and our own works. It's about the grace of God. If God is calling you to a change and you fall on your face the first time, being justified by a gracious God means that failure does not have the last word. That's good news. If you've blown it on your resolution, why don't you give it another try? Starting tonight. That's what it means to live as ones with faith in a gracious God. Our challenge is to be crucified with Christ and to put to death the add-ons that we so often rely on for meaning, value, and salvation. Trading our striving for Christ's thriving. And we can do that only in second chances. Through a faith in a God that has truly given himself for us, for you, for each of you. Our challenge is to walk the talk of grace. I think there's a lot of people tonight that that are tempted to look around the room and say, the grace of God is for them. It's for him. It's for her. But it's not for me. Our challenge is to start walking like, no, it is for us. It is for me. Justified by faith in a gracious God. It's a reality that we taste and see in this table. One that the Apostle Paul also gave to us. In saying, the Lord Jesus revealed something else to me as well. Not just on the road to Damascus. Paul passes this on to us and and says that on the night the, the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance that I love you. And then in the same way, after supper, he took this cup and he blessed it and he gave it for all and said, this is my blood. It is the new covenant, which is for you. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death that is also for you until he comes again. Friends, this is a table that is open to all who put their faith in a gracious and loving God, in Jesus Christ. And when we do this, communion always allows us to reflect on our faith. Do we trust Jesus in our weakness? Where do you need to set aside how you are trying to earn it in order that God's grace may not be set aside? Take some time to reflect on this tonight. Reflect and pray, and when you are ready, uh, join us at any of the stations around the room. First, break off a piece of bread, and then dip it in the cup. We call that intinction. Uh, and, and then at any point, there are people in the back that would love to pray with you about any of these things uh, that you need to confess, that you are struggling with, that might crowd out our ability to embrace the love that God wants, wants you to experience.
that's the reality that we taste and see in this table. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you have given yourself for us that we might know that we are justified by faith in you and you alone. Uh, so, Lord, as, as we do this, Lord, we, we ask that we might remember, that we might, uh, we might partake of you, and that we might experience you all the more. Lord, help us and those around us to know the great love uh, that you have for us. Thank you for the way that you love us and all of creation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, the gift of God for the people of God.